Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. I'm Daryl McMullen, and this is a show dedicated to understanding the human condition, the impact it has on us, how we respond to it, how we can exceed the expectations and limitations of this world, in essence, how we can level up and live lives that serve a higher purpose. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. It is June 15th, 2020, and uh, just a quick update on where we're at with the coronavirus. Uh, it is going on, I believe, three full months now. I, uh, I think we started back in mid-March. Uh, here we are, mid-June. And I'm not sure how things are for you, where you're at in the country, uh, but for us here in California, things are, it's kind of frustrating, right? Uh, things are opening back up at a at a pretty steady pace. Um, you know, a variety of different uh, businesses and organizations are, are allowed to open. Obviously, there's very strict rules uh, for reopening. Um, I think there's, you know, still some rules about how many people you can have in your in your establishment. So if you're a restaurant, you may not be able to be back at 100% yet, but it's getting it's getting pretty close. They've just moved tables around so that you have a little bit more space between you uh, and the next person. So that's great. I mean, things are opening back up, but I think the the concern is still that, you know, large gatherings are not happening and we still don't know when we're going to get that back. So you know, that is really going to impact things like sports and concerts and basically school. Uh, my my middle daughter uh, got into school out in on the East Coast on Long Island, and uh, they just released a statement that they're not going to go back full time in the fall. So there's going to still be some, some e-learning, some digital stuff that they're going to do uh, at the beginning of the school year. And then they're going to start, I think, a little bit later in the fall. So so still some of that lingering uh, effect and, and frustration, frustrating for me as a, as a parent, frustrating, you know, that, that it's impacting our kids the way it is. Um, but that's the world we find ourselves in. So, all right, uh, let's move into our minute of transparency. So today I wanted to talk about spotting a fake. I think in one of the recent minutes of transparency, I was talking a little bit about uh, being gullible, right? And the fact that I don't always see a fake when it's in front of me or, um, but that was really more talking about, you know, simple things, falling for uh, things that people say, uh, falling for news reports that aren't quite accurate or, uh, you know, people putting out videos on YouTube or things like that you know, where they, they explain something and it sounds really legit. And then you find out that they were misleading you. So that's, that's one piece of the puzzle. But today I wanted to talk about something that's a little more sinister. And this is something that's, uh, I guess, uh, really becoming a thing, uh, in, in news, in media, in social media, things like that. And I really, when I think back, um, one of the first places that I uh, kind of realized this was 
I was going through social media and I, I found a, an image and I found an image of a, an elephant walking across a road. Um, and near the elephant was a mother lion and in the elephant's trunk is a little baby lion, right? So the, the element elephant is actually carrying the baby cub across the road as if to be helpful. And I saw the image and I thought it was great. And I was like, oh, see, you know, this is proof that animals can get along, right? And so I, I think I posted the image or I, maybe I commented on it or something like that. Just that I was, I was impressed that, that that actually happened. And immediately I had uh, one of my other friends posted on, uh, replied to my comment. And he said, dude, you're an idiot. That's a fake. Um, you know, it's an obvious fake. And I, I was just caught off guard, you know, because I was, I was still in that gullible uh, phase of life where I was just, you know, I just accept things for, for the way they are, for the way I see them. Uh, and, you know, so that image, you know, sure enough, I went and kind of did a little research and, you know, it's, it's considered one of the better fake images, I guess, that's been out there in the past. But so, yeah. I mean, that was kind of my first real example of, you know, having a kind of a wake up call, right? Like, dude, you've got to get, you've got to be a little more discerning, um, about the things that you look at and, and deciding, you know, whether it's, whether it's right or wrong. Now, I don't, I don't know with this image, you know, I don't know if it was just a hobby for a person. Um, if they were practicing, maybe they were practicing, practicing for something bigger, you know, practicing on this, you know, just for fun. And then, uh, you know, maybe in the future, the images they created, you know, would cause a stir, maybe influence an election, maybe help um, extort money from someone who knows. Um, But that's the direction we're headed, unfortunately. So the issue here is that the technology is getting to the place where things like this are not just possible, they're commonplace, and they're actually becoming more and more mainstream. Um, and so this kind of dovetails right into a conversation I wanted to have on this thing that this thing called a deep fake. Now, deep fakes are, um, similar, um, although, you know, they're not, uh, just like messing with Photoshop, right? They're not, they're not just adding something to a picture or taking something out of a picture. It's actually the ability to manipulate media, uh, to the point where people, have a very difficult time distinguishing between truth and lies. Uh, and I added a, a link to a CNN article, um, in the, in the show notes. So if you want to learn more about deep fakes and, and how they work and, and what they do, um, you can go to there and, and find that information. Now this isn't like a, an eighties taste test, right? Between Coke and Pepsi or between the big map and the, or the big Mac and the Whopper. Um, and it's not, it's not like the simple Photoshop hack of the elephant and the lion. Now we're talking about doctored video um, that that actually allows a person's face to be replaced by another person's face, things like that, um, allowing somebody to do a voiceover or or change the words right uh, so that so that you can present an entirely different version of the video, um, and yet it it still looks real. Uh, these, you know, these fakes can easily deceive and manipulate people and, and drive people in the wrong direction. 
Now, this is nothing new. Obviously, back in the day, you know, it was more person to person, right? You really had to be aware of who you were around and who you were talking to. Uh, you had to be a pretty good judge of character. And you just had to stay away from people with shady reputations and uh, people that you thought, you know, could potentially be those kind of people. Uh, but in today's world, you know, we're being fed a nonstop stream of propaganda, partially on us, but then partially just, you know, interacting with the world around us. It's just always there. From the news we watch to the advertisements on television to movies and TV shows, um, uh, right up right up to the social media that we scroll through all day long. Uh, you can already see how this works, right? Uh, you view something on Amazon, and all of a sudden you're seeing that product advertised on other websites, or on Facebook, or in your Instagram feed. Uh, and that's just common business practice right now in order to get you to buy a product. But what if the product wasn't actually a product? What if what they were trying to sell you was something that you wouldn't typically fall for, right? So they start flooding your feeds with misinformation in that area. Would you see it? Would you be able to see in time what is going on? So think about the hundreds and thousands of messages that enter your brain every day. The images you see, the video clips you watch, things like that, things that your friends are sharing with you. Do you really think you even have the ability to weigh each of those messages um, you know, as they're coming in so fast? Weigh them for whether they're right or whether they're wrong? Probably not. And the scary thing is, you know, even if, even if only 2% of the messages that are coming in each day are fake, that adds up over time. And think about the, the amount of miscommunication that we're all being presented. And that's just 2%. I mean, what if it was actually higher than that? Um, you know, and, and did that 2% or higher, did it make you act in a certain way? Did it influence you to buy something? Uh, did it impact who you voted for? Are you starting to see the ripple effect that could take place? You know, there could come a day where we literally have to make a decision, and it would be a really hard decision for us. You know, we've we've become very comfortable with the the devices in our hands, and how we have immediate access to information. But there might come a day where we have to really make a hard decision and decide, you know, is this good for us or not? Uh, you know, are, are we able to handle the level of information that's coming in and the, the misinformation that's coming in, um, or do we just have to cut it off? Scary, I know, but uh, just a thought. So that's my minute of transparency for the day. Uh, no punchline, really. No, no actionable steps out of it. Just, just kind of raising the flag on something that you know we're all going to have to understand at some point and be ready for. Uh, in, interestingly enough, we'll probably talk more about this in episode nine and ten uh, of this series. So, all right. Well, let's jump into our content. So. Obviously, for those of you who have been here for the last few weeks, we are in a series called Controversy Theory, and we're really in the section right now where we're talking about the characters in the controversy, their game plans, and the weapons that they choose to use in the battle. So today we're going to talk about the weapon that God uses in the battle or in the controversy. Today's basic assumption, every person has a conscience. And we're going to break things down into uh, Let's Get Freudian, May the Force Be With You, What is the Conscience, 
and how the conscience works. So number one, let's get Freudian. All right, since the dawn of time, uh, people have had theories about the mind, the personality, how we tick. Uh, and, you know, psychiatrists like Sigmund Freud came along and they offered up, you know, their scientific or, or medically based explanations for us. So according to Freud, uh, the human mind or personality is made up of the following parts. Uh, some of you may have heard this before, but there's the id, the ego, and the superego. Now the id is the impulsiveness, the the unconscious part of us, a part of our psyche that that basically responds impulsively to basic urges, basic needs, and basic desires. So things like our sexuality or our um, impulsiveness toward aggression or anger. That's the id. Uh, the superego is basically the morals and the values that are within you, things that you've learned from your parents or learned from society. Uh, it's said to develop around the ages of three to five. Uh, and it's, it's really this, this filter or this, it's not really the filter, no. It's the high-level um, things that you know that you should or shouldn't do. And then the ego is actually the filter, right? It's the it's the, the mediator between the unrealistic impulses of the id and the superego, the things that you know you really should or shouldn't do. So the ego operates according to the reality principle, working out realistic ways of satisfying what the id wants to do, uh, but at the same time, you know, trying to avoid the negative consequences that would happen if you just gave into all of those things. So that's Freud's uh, explanation of the mind, and I have a link in the show notes uh, for more information on that as well. Uh, and, you know, theories like Freud's suggest that we control our behavior and we make positive decisions mainly for the following reasons, right? So we follow a set of guidelines or expectations put in place by our parents, teachers, society in general, and that, you know, we make those decisions and, and maintain those guidelines and expectations um, because we, we want to fit into society. And then the second reason is similar, but it's more that we, we follow the rules and expectations of the society we live in because we don't want to get in trouble. So the, the consequences are such that we stay in line um, just to stay out of trouble. So in Freud's reality, we're simply making good decisions because it's the smart thing to do or the advantageous thing to do. Interestingly enough, we don't really seem to be making choices and decisions because they are morally right or wrong. And this is an important distinction that we need to understand as we begin to look at God's weapon in the controversy. Number two, may the force be with you. First of all, thank you to Star Wars for years of fun and the brilliant telling of the controversy between good and evil, or as they put it, the light and dark sides of the force in the movies. Um, I'm still fascinated by the fact that stories like these, um, you know, ones that so closely resemble the battle that exists between God and Satan, often do so well at the box office and they really stand the test of time. Um, it's it's like we subconsciously understand the plot and we we really resonate with it. But I digress. Before we unpack the conscience um, and what it is, we we really should walk through a, a few important concepts first. 
A big one is this whole concept of nature versus nurture. So similar to Freud's desire to define the mind and personality or psyche, nature versus nurture is a debate that exists, but it's really, it's a desire to understand where our behavior comes from. Uh, Typically this debate is amongst, you know, people in the field of psychology, uh, and there's an entire continuum uh, upon which most of the uh, modern treatment modalities would live. Uh, I've also added a a link to simple psychology. Um, If you want more information, the link is in the show notes. So more information on the nature versus nurture debate. Um, But for example, on this continuum, Freud's version of of therapy, which is called psychoanalysis, lives on the the far end of the nature side. And strict behaviorists live on the far end of the nurture side, with cognitive behavioralists um, living somewhere in the middle. On the nature side, uh, it basically says that what we are born with is what we are. We are what we're born with. Very genetics-based, right? That we're wired up to be the way we are from birth. And on the nurture side, um, that explains that we are what we experience. So that we're, you know, we're taught to be who we are by our environment, by our parents, by the world around us, things like that. Now, controversy theory suggests that it's probably somewhere in the middle, uh, which is probably why I resonate so much with the, the teachings of cognitive behavioral therapy, rational emotive therapy, reality therapy, things like that, um, because th- those are all treatment modalities that kind of fit in the middle between nature and nurture. So these all see a healthy balance between nature and nurture. So if I were to use concepts from um, controversy theory, I would explain it this way. So first, we are born with a sin virus, and that impacts everyone in the same way. So this is very much on the nature side of things, right? Uh, At the same time, the sin virus doesn't get to determine who we are. We aren't doomed to be sinful and to give in to our sinful nature in every instance. Second, we are capable of learning. We can be taught to act in certain ways. We can be taught to act to go against our sinful nature. And we can learn that, that it's better to um, do certain things than others. Thus, uh, the importance of parenting, right? The whole, this whole concept is very much on the nurture side of things. And finally, it seems obvious to me that, you know, Jesus came to earth to do the following. First, to create the antidote to the sin virus. So, you know, that's something that people have to be nurtured to understand and accept. And he also came to be a role model, right? So he showed us how to live the perfect life. Not that we can achieve that, but he came to show us how you could live uh, and live differently. And that's also a very nurturing thing to do. It's not, it's not a nature thing. It's nurturing. So the elements of nature, there's really, there's really two pieces to the nature side, right? There's the sin virus, which we all get, we have no choice in the matter. And then the other piece that we get through the nature side is, is the biological or genetic factors that each of us get. So these are, you know, a distinct set of traits that are passed down, uh, from our parents. Again, we don't get to choose these. You know, these could be things like uh, a tendency toward depression, anxiety, anger, uh, addictive behavior, schizophrenia, things like that, uh, including medical, you know, medical problems as well. But we're talking more along the lines of our our thinking right now. Um, So all of these can be passed down from generation to generation. 
Then on the nurture side, we have a couple uh, different elements in the nurture side as well. So you have social influences, which are the influences of the people around you, right? The people who raise us and speak into our lives. So parents, teachers, coaches, youth leaders, pastors, friends, friend groups, affinity groups, things like that, all social influences. And then you have environmental influences, um, which you can, you know, very easily see as negative or positive, you know, just based on, on the environment you were raised in, whether it was a loving environment, you know, free from danger, free from uh, fearful situations, or if you were in a very negative environment, you know, with violent behavior, abusive behavior, um, systemic racism, things like that. So those are kind of the elements of nature versus nurture. Number three, what is the conscience? So we briefly explained, right, that there are two weapons in the controversy. There's the conscience, and then there's temptation. Temptation we'll deal with in a few episodes, but God's weapon in the controversy is the conscience. The problem is many people don't even believe in the conscience, right? You know, they kind of just fall back to the Freudian view where, you know, the mind is just a, a, just this little piece of organic material in your in your head and you know it's it's like a mini computer that that starts with nothing in it and over time it learns like a you know like artificial intelligence and as you grow you know you are kind of moved in the direction of of becoming a more mature person and obviously you know they there's the nature versus nurture thing but a lot of people just look at the brain as a, as a piece of you that is all within you and all, um, you know, controlled by you over time. And many, many who do believe, I, I think, don't really even understand how powerful the conscience is. So those, you know, there are those who don't believe and then there are those who do but don't really understand what it is or how powerful it is. So if you remember back in the uh, second basic assumption, we discussed how many debates aren't actually about the topic being debated, right? In fact, many debates boil down to something much deeper. So we talked about the uh, evolution versus creation debate. Um, I forget what one of the other ones was that we were, were talking through. But in this case, the idea of uh, the conscience, right, and whether it exists or not, is a similar debate. It's it's actually going to boil down to a much bigger question, which is, does God exist? Right? It's a God question. And the debate over the existence of the, the conscience falls into that category because somebody who believes in God is much more likely to believe in the existence of something like the conscience. Somebody who believes there is no God, no higher power, or, you know, nothing outside of ourselves like that, um, really can't believe in the conscience, right? Because, because the conscience, the idea of the conscience suggests that there is a connection between our mind and something greater than ourselves. And therein lies the explanation of the conscience, right? It's our lifeline. It's a direct connection between us and our creator. Uh, call it telepathic, refer to it as momentary impressions, call it a still small voice, uh, call it a feeling, you know, however you refer to it, it's, it's all the same thing. Uh, the Bible suggests that the conscience is actually something we're born with. So remember back when we talked about us being created in God's image, right? The conscience is actually thought to be a piece of that. 
Uh, it's an element of our minds that we were given by our creator for a very special purpose. Now, I'm not 100% sure, um, you know, how the conscience played into our existence before the sin virus. Yeah, that's an interesting question to me. Uh, but I definitely understand how it plays out in our lives today. So when Jesus left earth after being raised from the dead, he, he made the following statement. He said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The Word cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. That's from uh, John 14. And this is where we really begin to get an understanding of, of two important things. First of all, uh, the, the importance of the Holy Spirit and what his job is. And second, um, you know, what the conscience is actually for. So let's, let's illustrate it um, to make it a little bit easier to understand. So let's pretend that your mind is a house, okay? There are a lot of rooms. Each is there for something specific, right? The kitchen is there for eating. The bathroom is there for, well, you know, uh, bedrooms are for sleeping. The garage is to park your cars in and store your junk. And the living room is there for, well, living, I guess. It's kind of the main, the main part of your house where you do most of your living. But there's a unique element in most houses, an element that brings the outside world into your house. It's called what? A television, yes, and it is capable of pulling stuff in to your house and presenting it to you. Now, as we all know, um, you can you can kind of control what content comes in, right? You can choose the company that you go with. You can choose the, the uh, package that you're paying for. But on some level, you can't really always choose the content that's coming into your house, right? It's It's there, it's part of the package, and you don't really get to choose what's coming in. However, you do get to choose if you watch it or not. So as you flip through the channels, you see things that you may not have intended to see. Uh, in moments of weakness, maybe you watch some things that aren't the best for you. But there's also amazing content, right, that is uplifting and good for your soul. Ultimately, you are in control. You have the power to watch good things. You have the power to watch bad things. Uh, you have the power to leave it running all day, or you have the power to turn it off altogether. Uh, these days, you know, you could probably use your laptop or cell phone in this illustration, but I really like the concept of the TV because it, you know, it just seems right as it's stuck there in your living room in the middle of your house, and it's kind of the conduit to the world um, around you right inside your house. I'm sure you can see where I'm going with this illustration. So the, the conscience is our God-given portal inside of our mind. It's the television inside of our mind. And I say God-given because he created us. So, um, you know, he's the one that made sure that it was there. This is why we get to call the conscience his weapon in the controversy. Even though, as, as you'll see, um, you know, the, the conscience can, can be good and bad. Um, it can have good things and bad things come into it. It's important to understand that it's God's uh, weapon in the controversy because he gave it to us. And if we use it correctly, it is a weapon for good. Now, an important thing to understand is that the conscience is not the mind itself, right? So our minds, our brains are capable of many other things. Things like, um, 
you know, decision-making, habit-forming, memorizing routines and processes, experiencing stimuli, stimuli from the outside environment, controlling our body functions, etc. The conscience is a little compartment, so to speak, within our mind, and it's really where the, the magic happens. Like the television, it's our connection to the outside world, our connection to things that are beyond our three physical dimensions. So, you know, you can look at these as existential things or spiritual things. Um, so back to what we talked about from John 14, um, you know, Jesus mentions that an advocate uh, will be given to us, or um, some versions uh, refer to it as a comforter, uh, will be given to us as Jesus departed earth. Now, what he's talking about is the Holy Spirit, right? The third part of the Trinity that we really don't know a whole lot about. Uh, but this is where uh, the Holy Spirit kind of takes over in our lives. So when Jesus physically left earth, he explained that he would leave the Holy Spirit with us to be our lifeline to God. So how does this work? Well, John explains it this way. He says that he lives with you and in you. And that's really where it all comes full circle in this episode. The Holy Spirit lives and operates in our conscience. So he basically takes up residence there um, so that we have immediate access to God through him. Number four, how the conscience works. So now that we know what the conscience is and kind of where it came from um, and what its intended use is, we, we need to look a little bit deeper at how it works. So if we were to define the word conscience from the dictionary, uh, you, would, you would get the following two statements. First, the inner sense of what is right or wrong in one's conduct or motives, impelling one toward right action. Uh, number two, uh, the complex of ethical and moral principles that controls or inhabits the actions or thoughts of an individual. So when I read these two definitions, um, you know, I, I, I thought the following things. First, the first one talks about a sense of what's right or wrong. And then it uses the word impel, which means to drive forward. So in essence, being driven to action by, by sensing something. Uh, the second one suggested more of a set of principles, right? Uh, like a guiding set of principles within us that controls what we do and what we don't do. Like a, like basically like a filter for our thinking and our behaving. Uh, interesting that both are things that can just happen, right? They could just be there as part of our brain structure without any help, without any outside forces. Um, again, similar to the Freudian view of our mind. But this is where controversy theory takes a stand. So controversy theory suggests that this sense or this complex set of ethical and moral principles actually has an origin. It actually comes from somewhere other than just us, our parents, or the environment that we live in. These are huge factors, don't get me wrong. Both nature and nurture impact the filter that we use to determine our thinking and behaving. But there is something more, there's something above and beyond just those things that we're born with and the things that we've learned through living. And this is the part of the conscience that we must get in touch with. We must figure this out. So let's define a uh, few important things about the conscience. First, our conscience is not the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit owns and has first dibs to our conscience. It's almost like God said, I'm going to create humankind in our image, and I'm going to 
place a small portal in their brains where we can live or where we can have kind of direct access to them. And so the conscience is there for the Holy Spirit to inhabit. The other way to look at it is that the conscience is the playground where spiritual and existential decisions are made. Because God placed it there, it's inherently a force for good. However, because of the sin virus, we have the freedom to allow it to be corrupted. So the conscience is basically the tree of knowledge of good and evil inside of our minds. Let that sink in for a minute. You know, just just as Adam and Eve had a physical tree in the center of the garden that eventually became a voting booth in an eternal election, so too our minds have become the tree, the voting booth for each of us. So let me try to simplify it a little bit. So there are two outside forces that are competing for our mind, right? Temptation, which we'll talk more about soon, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice that I use the word outside. You know, this doesn't mean that there are audible voices coming from outside, like voices in the hallway. No, we hear the voices inside of our minds, inside the conscience. They are thoughts, they are uh, impressions, they are feelings, uh, but they originate outside of our bodies. In other words, we aren't creating or producing these thoughts, right? These thoughts are coming from outside of our bodies. And they're not thoughts about like what to wear in the morning, right? These are, these are thoughts that our minds uh, create. No, these are thoughts that are pushed into our minds from outside forces. So the temptations are being pushed into our conscience by Satan, and the conscience is working to combat these temptations. And the conscience and the power of uh, combating temptation is coming from the Holy Spirit. When you look at it this way, your conscience is really a little battlefield, right? In a much bigger battle going on between God and Satan in the controversy. This is often why uh, Christians will refer to this as spiritual warfare, because the, the two outside forces are actually battling inside your mind because each side wants you, right? You are the prize. So let's finish up by talking about the way... Um, the way the Holy Spirit uses the conscience. So let's use a few words to help us kind of flesh things out. Let's use the word mediator, advocate, consultant, and comforter. First, the Holy Spirit is not a mediator. So a mediator is somebody who remains neutral, right? Somebody who tries to help you see both sides in a situation. Uh, And in the case of spiritual warfare, the Holy Spirit can only be on one side. Next, we have the word advocate, uh, which is much better. So an advocate ensures you are safe, ensures you are not taken advantage of, speaks on your behalf, and looks out for your best interest. Next, we have the word consultant, uh, which is also a good word. Uh, A consultant helps you see all the variables in a given situation, shows you the beginning from the end, uh, with all of the possible outcomes in between, basically helps you see what has worked in the past and what is most likely to fail in the future. The consultant is also pushing you toward the goal, which is to do the next right thing. And finally, the word comforter, also a good word. Um, And, you know, in, in John 14, most translations use the word advocate, but there are a few versions that add the word comforter, which is a really cool addition uh, when you think about it. If we only thought of the Holy Spirit as an advocate or consultant, we might start to view him kind of the way we view an accountant, 
right? Just there to run the numbers and to kind of keep us out of trouble. But when you start using words like comforter, you start to feel the relational side, right? The fact that the Holy Spirit is God and is part of the Trinity, has the same DNA as God. Um, That DNA is love, and it's the kind of love that sent Jesus to the cross to die for us. So looking at the at the Holy Spirit as a comforter um, is is a whole different way of viewing his work in our life. And finally, we can see how the Holy Spirit, through our conscience, works to advocate, consult, and comfort. And here are just four obvious ways that it happens. So sometimes the Holy Spirit works on us through a repetitive thought. Um, So have you ever thought to yourself, why do I keep having the same thought, sense, or feeling, or impression over and over and over again? This could be the Holy Spirit suggesting something to you. Maybe it's the repetitive thought that you need to reach out to someone that you lost touch with. Maybe it's the repetitive thought that some behavior that you engage in is wrong. Whatever the case, these are important thoughts and and really need to be listened to. Next is the reminder thought. So similar to the repetitive thought, um, but not at random times. So the reminder thought always comes after another thought or behavior. It's the thought you have right after you do something that you know is wrong. It's the reminder that, remember, we were trying not to do that anymore. Um, Some people refer to this as guilt, uh, though I would suggest that I would suggest that it is uh, a reminder from the Holy Spirit. The guilt piece is more of a feeling that we have when we let ourselves down or let God down or someone else down. Next is the close encounter. So the Holy Spirit can also use the behaviors of other people to help guide us through our conscience. So have you ever saw a person make a really great decision and immediately you're struck with the idea that, man, I should be more like that person. I should live like that. And then you have the opposite situation, right? Where you you witness somebody doing something horribly wrong and you immediately know, I do not want to be like that. That's not, that's not a good thing. These are close encounters, especially when they happen, you know, right in front of you to someone you know, to someone you love. Um, and in these situations, the Holy Spirit is able to use them to basically grow you up at the same time. And finally, we have the moment in time. So this is when a person or situation has a big big impact on your thinking or behaving. Uh, You may not even realize that this is a moment in time moment, um, but the Holy Spirit takes the situation you're in and burns it into your memory through your conscience. There's two different kinds of moment in time experiences. There's interpersonal and situational. So interpersonal is a moment in time with a person. So it could be a parent, a teacher, a coach, a friend, or even a a complete stranger. And it comes in many different shapes and sizes, you know, from spending entire weekends with a person to a person literally saying one word to you at the right time. I'll give you an example from my life. So when when I was younger, uh, we were visiting some of my parents' friends at their home, uh, and they had a college-aged daughter who was there. And she was in the room at the time. And, and at one point, you know, I was running around with my head cut off. I was young. I was, you know, probably loud and obnoxious. And uh, at some point she made the comment, boy, you are so cynical. Literally everything you say is cynical. And at the time I just recoiled. I didn't even know what the word cynical meant, but I knew that she was 
calling me out for some reason. And it stuck with me, stuck with me to the point where I can still remember that situation, even though I was really young. At some point later in my life, I, you know, I researched the word cynical, tried to figure out what it was, what it meant. And it occurred to me that, you know, maybe I did have that side of my personality and maybe I did overdo it at times. So this is, this was a moment in time for me, an interpersonal moment in time. Um, you know, the Holy Spirit used her short little sentence uh, to start something working in my conscience. And over time, I, I realized what it meant and I actually made some changes in my life because of it. Next, we have situational. So a moment in time that jogs our memory, so to speak, or, or helps us turn a 180. Uh, you know, this could be something like getting a DUI and realizing that something really needs to be done about your drinking. Uh, it could be the death of someone close to you that really opens your eyes to the fact that life is short and precious. And, and maybe it impresses you that you're wasting time on what you're doing in your own life. So many different things, but you know, the Holy Spirit can use so many different situations to kickstart your conscience and to help you really start to make uh, positive changes in your life. So let's land the plane. Uh, have you ever really thought about your conscience? Um, did it surprise you uh, to think about it in terms of spiritual warfare? Uh, that there's a battle going on inside your mind, just as there's a battle going on between God and Satan in the world around us. Which word for the Holy Spirit did you resonate most with? Advocate, consultant, or comforter? And have you been able to see the Holy Spirit working in your life? Um, if so, has it been through a repetitive thought, a reminder thought? Have you had a close encounter recently? Uh, or have you experienced a moment in time recently? This week, look for, look for the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. Listen for him working through your conscience. Is there something you need to do? Is there something you need to stop doing? Uh, my prayer for you is that you'll tune in to that frequency, right? So your conscience is on a very, very high frequency that, we, that a lot of people don't even uh, hear or, or are able to tune into. So that's my prayer for you this week is that you'll tune into that frequency and start to allow the Holy Spirit to work magic in your life. So that's it. Um, God's weapon in the controversy, the conscience. Uh, thank you so much for being with us this week. Um, next week, we shift gears from from God and, and God's weapon in the controversy and God's game plan, and we move into the, the darker side of the controversy. So the eighth basic assumption is Satan's game plan, which is revenge. Again, thank you for joining us for this series on controversy theory. If, you, if you're loving it, uh, tell a family or friend, shoot them an email, post about it on social media, uh, rate us on Apple Podcasts, all of those good things. And uh, thanks again for being here. Until next time, uh, keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com, where you'll find ways to contact us and how to access social media channels. If you like the show, you can help us by doing the following. First, tell a few friends about the show. Uh, there's nothing better than word-of-mouth marketing.
Second, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, This will make it easier to find the show and encourage others to check us out. Uh, Thanks again for subscribing, and we'll see you next time.